Hello, everyone. It is January the 26th of 2018, and it is time for Weekly Manga Recap. Chris! Hello, Nick. How are you doing? I have ascended to a new form of masculine voice, apparently. Apparently? Apparently. You can't hear it. But to the rest of the world, I have taken on a deep new voice that is uh, signaled, I believe, my evolution to a higher power. That's what deep voices are like, right? I Nick, guess. I've now joined the echelon of you, Barry White, Dr. Claw, <laughs> and uh, the Honest Trailer guy, I guess. I guess those are the four. Like, on the Mount Rushmore's of low baritone voices, you guys are on there. You get to chisel at a fifth head for old me. Dr. Claw? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess he won't be on the Mount Rushmore. That's not his... a naturally deep voice, Chris. He just talks like this all the time. He'll just have, because he's on the Mount Rushmore, it won't be a face. It'll just be a hand. It'll just be the Dr. Claw hand on the chair arm. Ah, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I think it works. Um, Hey, Nick, I got uh, I got something that's uh, something amusing in my mind that I don't know okay. what to hear about. Oh, so you've disappeared from the world. Yeah. You're back now. All right, cool. So I started up a job recently at the local movie Cinemaplex. You could say, and All right. in the process of that, you know, you had to do your orientation, everything like that. So they are playing essentially, um, what is the like guide of everything going on, and it's a movie theater, so they use a lot of movie terminology that immediately comes off as the most condescending and fucking obnoxious shit in the world. So it's like, welcome to this cinema. This may be your opening role. But keep at it, and you can have a big carpet appearance. But, you know, learn your notes. You may have to understudy for a bit, but you'll give an Academy Award-winning performance. Like, it's nothing but shitty movie puns. <laughs> to the notion of, like, I'm slaying fucking M&Ms for minimum wage right now. God damn it, stop treating me like this. <laughs> I really, really hate overly enthusiastic orientation videos like that. It's just like, I, I know why I'm here. I it, Stop. It, it's not even overly enthusiastic. He carries it all with the cadence of someone who doesn't give a fuck, but was given a script with a bunch of <laughs> shitty movie puns in it. Gotcha. It's not like, welcome to show business. It's like, you're in show business now. You have to, you have to make sure when the director says cut that you're in your places. You think that, the, like, everyone up, up along the chain has the same attitude that you do having to listen to it? Like, the person who's been handed this script is like, I can't believe I have to fucking recite this bullshit. The person who's writing is like, I can't believe I have to write this bullshit. <laughs> uh, the, editor, the editor, the supervisor of the script is like, I can't believe that they made us do this. <laughs> no, we, Everyone up to, like, the middle management guy is like, we need to make it more fun for yeah. them. <laughs> See, having worked when I was with the state, I worked in training. So part of what I did was helping people assemble these shitty, awful presentations. So one time, my sole goal uh, was just like there was a bunch of like random one lines that were supposed to be at the top of it. Like, I don't know what to do and all that. And he's like, you and me just go and do your voice. Just do voices for it. And everyone I made cartoonish. So there's just one that opens with me like, well, I don't know what my manager is now. Don't you know? Like, they were just all goofy, and everyone was like, that was the best part. And I was like, why don't we have, like, comedians doing our fucking training videos? 
just put something like amateur comedian in there as opposed to like I really just needed a voice acting role and they told me to say it the most deadpan but enthusiastic way possible. <laughs> yeah, I I have no idea. It's it, it's insane. It's training is not awful, but uh, the job's fun. There's, there's good managers there. You good. got you, you get to uh, put uh, your favorite movie on your name tag. And when oh. the manager asked Travon, I, I jokingly said, Dungeon checks in. Will that fit? And he started, like, putting it on. I was like, no, please, for the love of God, hot fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I've learned not to judge. <laughs> see, what's up Do you know how many people we had come in to see the Emoji movie? Well, not a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> not a stunning amount, but enough. <laughs> more than more than 10, though. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Well, uh, Chris, uh, we have a, a, an unusual manga to talk about this week. Is it um, unusual? Uh, I would say that it's uh, a refreshing take on an old concept. Okay. I think we'll call it that. Okay. Uh, our series is called Helk, H-E-L-C-K, uh, which uh, basically uh, the premise is that it starts off uh, in the Demon Kingdom. And uh, there is chaos in the Demon Kingdom because a Demon King has been killed by the humans, by a, a human hero. And uh, so they need to quickly uh, promote someone to be the new Demon King uh, and continue to, you know, pull dominion over that realm of the Demon Kingdom. So this contest gets held and uh, one of the other uh, Demon Kings... Vimirio, who is this small elf-looking girl, uh, comes in and to uh, start to oversee the proceedings. And she learns that someone who is quickly uh, making a name for himself is a human, a human hero named Helk, who is basically a very cartoonish-looking Conan the Barbarian. Uh, that's the easiest way I can I can describe him. He looks very unusual, even in this series. Uh, which has a lot of different character designs because he's just got the squarest jaw that you have ever seen. <laughs> and uh, so, Vimirio is, of course, immediately suspicious because there's a human hero trying to become the Demon King, so she comes up with all these theories about why he is actually in this contest. Uh, maybe he's trying to kill the uh, people who could potentially be good Demon Kings. Uh, maybe he is trying to strike at them from within after ascending to the position. She doesn't really know. Uh, but every single time that she comes up with an idea for what he's trying to do, he just he keeps up being friendly with everyone. And uh, no matter what she does to try and sabotage the contest, he manages to find some absurd way to get through it. They resort to not having contests of strength and do things like a card house building contest, which he wins. Be just, be just because. And uh, eventually you come to learn what Helk's motivation is, why he wants to become the Demon King and kill the rest of humanity. And uh, it's about that and about the developing, uh, I don't want to say relationship because that has romantic connotations, but the developing, the way that the the relationship between Vimirio and Helk changes over the course of the series is a really big part of it, of the story. Yeah, I mean, the series is one thing for about seven or eight or nine chapters or so. It's distinctly all about this tournament, and it's essentially the easiest way to describe it. It's a Looney Tunes series. 
it's you know a roadrunner probably coyote situation as they try to mm -hmm. do everything they can to set up this this guy to fail and no matter what he does it and i don't it's... say that in a derogatory way because i i absolutely love Looney Tunes cartoons they're, they're yeah. fantastic it's essentially like uh, one of those, if we're going to do a Looney Tunes one, I would compare it to like the guy who's trying to trick Bugs Bunny. And no matter what he does to try and trick or cheat Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny always gets one up on him in a ridiculous way. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's like one that's perfectly like this. I can't think of it. Uh, there's one where a guy rips off Bugs and steals all of his money. Like he, because Bugs comes across a giant gold nugget, the guy steals it. And then months later, Bugs finds him. And the guy has set up a casino, and the guy tries to rig all of the, all, all of the casino games, and Bugs somehow still wins everyone. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 in the similar mindset of that, and it has amusing moments to it to a certain extent. But the the problem is that once you've seen it, it's extremely obvious where the jokes are or where they're going to be going. So, like, the first big uh, situation they throw over there is, like, oh, when our contestants can't beat this guy by force, we have to make sure he loses. So that's where they, like, the card competition, as you said. And in that, Hulk just is completely at a loss until he's just, like, I concentrate more. And he puts the card tower together while simultaneously causing such a storm with his arm that he blows away basically everyone else's. And that's when they realize, like, oh, wait, we should just be fighting each other. And... You know, he's the innocent, naive fool in all of this who just believes, like, this is such a worthy competition. They give us such proud competition and, and such skilled obstacles to overcome and everything like that. And, you know, it's amusing to a certain extent, but eventually the jokes are very obvious to the point where there's, like, one where they have to do a horse race. And mm -hmm. his horse isn't fast. You're like, he's going to pick up the horse and just run with it. Because that's what this guy is. He's a super muscle-bound god, essentially. He can't lose. And that's eventually what happens. He also encourages the horse to run. But by the end, they're like, the horse still can't actually carry you. So he just picks up the horse or, like, runs basically over top of it. It's amusing to a certain extent, but the jokes become very obvious at that point. Until, mm -hmm. as I said, about ten or so chapters in when the series changes. And it's kind of tough to describe what it becomes after that for me. Because this was initially very much a gag manga you know it didn't have a ton of story to it it was all just like here's a new joke to like make something about how help is incredibly accomplished like we're gonna put him in a cooking competition oh help's an amazing cook too or you know here's help in a fucking i don't know like a sewing competition they don't have one of those but that's sort of the gag later on though they actually start delving into the idea of like well there's the human world and politics that they go along with that the new world of monsters up above us that are attacking and there's like politics and conspiracies and you know like legions and the like army of human angels that are constantly suiciding into the demons to get resurrected stronger and stronger and you're just like i don't know what this is anymore because it's not mm -hmm. serious enough to be like just a, a dramatic battle series but the jokes are like not frequent enough to really settle where i'm at it's a very odd series because it transitions very frequently between like serious and jokey moments, but it also does it very seamlessly, I find. Um, and when there need, does need to be a really serious stress without jokes, uh, then it does that. There's just there's a, a long flashback that Helk has that explains his backstory and how he came to be where he was at the beginning of the series. That's very serious, no humor because. Some really bad, tragic stuff happens. 
Um, but you know, there, there'll, for example, be a point where, cause a big chunk of the series is, um, after they try and retake the demon fortress where the king got killed, um, Helk and Vimirio get sucked into a portal and they land on an island that's thousands of miles away. And uh, so they start to make their way back. They sail across the ocean. Uh, they get attacked by this like giant squid while there's also this this whirlpool that's sucking the ship in. And Helk leaps off of the ship in order to go and fight the sea monster. And uh, so they're... Vimirio and their weird little bird companion that they picked up on the island, uh, they are forced to abandon him and sail away. And Vimirio lands on the mainland and she you know, lands on her hands and knees. And it looks like Helk is dead. And then she's like, Helk, why? Why are you already here? And it pans up. He's just standing there. Hi! It's a sign. It's a goal. <laughs> so... You know, it, it goes through this entire chapter where he has this where he has this dramatic self-sacrifice battle and, and then it's for a punchline. It's 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 really weird in that in that regard. It's understandable to a certain extent, because, I mean, that is the basis of a lot of comedy is sort of like to just take the piss out of something to, to use a euphemism there. But just to to, mm-hmm. to set up and then punchline set up. Oh, it looks like Helk's dead. We're gonna have a dramatic chapter about his his heroic sacrifice punchline. Actually, the the he was there all along, and that's why she's like, why, why? <laughs> um, but it's somewhat interesting because there's there's something that I found very easy to kind of compare this series to. Just turns among. I already you mentioned it's, it's about like a Looney Tune cartoon, but the initial kind of framework of the series falls along a similar line to One Punch Man. And that it's a world with a protagonist who is unbeatable. Like, that's part of the character, where that's sort of the base of the joke. And they're uh, they're the odd one out artistically as well from the rest of the universe. Um, where Whereas One Punch Man takes that framework and kind of expands around it. I found that Hulk kind of just had that as a go-to for a couple gags until it went totally serious it, it, it's tough because the 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 joke is always still there even though when it starts being played for dramatic purposes like when he starts fighting against people who are supposed to be incredibly strong he still beats them and they'll end a chapter when it's like oh no how as he gets like cut across the chest but the next chapter starts he's fine and it's it's sort of weird because you're you're reading what seems like it's trying to be a more serious series at that point with the protagonist who you know just can't lose because he's you know joke superman essentially Mm. A, a lot of the point of the series, I think, is that the fact that Hulk has all this strength, but he did still fail in order to land up where, where he is. Um, despite all of his physical strength and battle prowess, he completely and utterly failed to save any of his friends uh, that are now. I guess we might as well dive into what the actual issue with the humans is and why Hulk wants to kill them. So this is pretty major spoilers. Basically, um, the humans have discovered this technique that allows them to awaken and become heroes. And when you awaken into a hero, you get this tremendous boost of power. So Hulk is a hero, and that's one of the reasons why he's so incredibly powerful. I, I awakened, uh, actually. That's why I sound so That's why you have deep voice now, yeah. yes. Uh, and one of the uh, issues with being a hero is that if you're a hero then there is also someone who has awakened in the human kingdom who can resurrect you no matter how many times you die. 
So basically, it's in it's like they're in a video game and every one of the humans is now the protagonist of the story. You die and you come back to your last save and then you can just keep on getting stronger. Um, so it takes an, an interesting twist on that premise of like, oh, yes, well, there's a hero who's going to defeat the demon kingdom. And then it's like, well, what if all of the humans could just become inf- infinitely powerful and could basically destroy everyone uh, the stronger and stronger that they became. So it becomes this race against time to defeat the corrupted with power humans before they just become too powerful to ever be stopped. Uh, so this happened when, you know, Hulk was part of the human kingdom and every one of his friends either was killed or was turned into a power hungry monster because they were awakened as heroes. And a lot of them didn't retain their sanity when they did. Uh, even those that did have been corrupted by it and are now evil, basically. So that's why he wants to stop them, because he knows that his friends are gone and they're better off dead than what they are, are currently. And if they don't kill them, then not just humanity, but all the world is going to be destroyed. So it's an interesting take on that uh, idea that you have in you know a lot of fancy setups. Like, oh, here's the chosen hero. They are awakened as a hero. They're going to eventually become powerful enough that they can defeat everyone with their ultimate techniques and stuff. Oh, what if there are a trillion of those and they're the bad guys? Sounds like a pretty sweet RPG. It does, kind of, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, a, uh, a reversal of the uh, typical structure of the game. I did really like this series. Uh, I think that the art, for one thing, is is really good. And there's a lot of different character designs uh, for a lot of the different, you know, because there's demons, then there are a lot of different appearances for the individual demons. Helk is really weird looking, but he, he gets drawn in a lot of different ways, depending on the demands of the current tone of the story. Um, and then there are some weird looking monsters over on the island that Vimirio and Helk land on. Uh including this weird rotund bird named Pewee that I want to throw into the sun. I, I know another I, animal sidekick that well, Nick hates. It, it, it's weird. I, I, I need to find, there's gotta be like some sort of like, um, event horizon that you cross over when you go from something like, I love Hawk and I love Paro to, I want to throw that bird into the sun. I don't know what like settles something on mine. It's like the uncanny. The va- it's like the uncanny valley. Like I just there's just this sun ditch that you this chasm <laughs> that you fall into, and then it comes back up. It's like oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I want to like put a chart together one time, like a ra- like a radial chart to figure out where creatures that are in series land on Nick's hate scale. Frosh is obviously at the top, and then like Frosh is the worst. It's far 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 worse than Pewee. Pewee is a lot easier to to ignore, honestly. It's like the Frosh to Hawk chart essentially and we just have to find where other creatters land in that median where does the animal the uh comic relief animal sidekick land on nick's on the uh nick scale yeah, yeah. where does chopper chopper's land? not animal sidekick he's a main character <laughs> is a hawk a main character nick exactly <laughs> he's great <laughs> uh, he's the eighth he's the eighth sin chris <laughs> Fuck, isn't there actually supposed to be like an ace? Lord Hawk! <laughs> uh, you know, I I can see why people dig this series. Uh, personally, I just could not get into it. It, it was really slow. 
Um, the humor felt telegraphed too much. And there's a lot of Vimirio, and she's not a particularly interesting character. Um, her turnabout to finding like a reason to like Hulk is just so basic and simple that I couldn't really invest into it narratively or dramatically. And it's not funny enough either to like fulfill either function the series trying to work with. So I just wasn't able to get into it for that extent. And it spends so much time following those two from like when they get sucked away and go to that island that like I just kind of lost patience with the series. It's not something I think is bad. I, I, I think it's just something that just didn't hit my particular sort of interests very much. Um, I think I, I think this series <clears throat> that would work better in my mind if it just pushed itself in one direction or the other right from the start. Like if it if it mm. wanted to be like a comedy series to keep up with the gags and keep going, there's a ton of material and room for it, uh, or just to not make that the constant thing of it where we're getting you know, five or six characters every couple chapters who are just there for, like, their one joke, like the, the pig man who's just there to be a utter incompetence to the point where you're like, why does anyone put this, like, assign this guy with a task? It's like, oh, hey, I've got an important message from you. I get there. But like, I fell asleep before I could give it to you, and I yeah. slept for about eight hours, and what, then I gave it to you. What kind of worthless fuck just falls asleep and misses a very big appointment what they're supposed to do? And why wouldn't anyone I, just... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly right. Who would ever put up with that, Chris? <laughs> no, I don't know who would do that. It, it sounds unbelievable. I can't believe that person still is associated with. <laughs> Maybe if you put on a Giants cap, you would get people to forgive him. <laughs> exactly. Go Giants. If it helps, this, this upcoming two weeks is my living hell. So, mm. I, 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 I do agree with you on that one character's life. I was like, this guy. This guy's not funny. He's just annoying. <laughs> Everyone on this island isn't funny. Oh, thank God they're gone from it now. <laughs> uh, so I think I, I think I could recommend this to people in the extent that if you are somebody in that same line who enjoys like a One Punch Man and like the comedy goofy aspect to it with a little bit of drama, you might dig Hulk. Um, I just know personally. This is one I wasn't a big fan of, and I can almost guarantee that when we do our, like, year-end recap, this is going to be one of those series. I'm like, what the fuck was Hulk? What are you talking about? Oh, right. Okay, never mind. I remember now. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't love it, but I found it very easy to read. Um, and even though a lot of the jokes weren't, like, having me crack up or anything, I thought that it moved really well. Uh, it kind of it had a really nice flow to it. Uh, the one joke that I think that stands out to me is um, there's a point in the flashback where uh, Hulk has joined a group of mercenaries and uh, they have to. Uh, it's just a montage of them rushing off the battle and then coming back. And, you know, Hulk is basically talking about how he loves spending time with them. It was the best times of his life. And he's reflecting in all the easygoing times that they had. Um, and but then they had to be pulled away to rush off to battle. Uh, and there's one moment when they do it, when they're running off to the side of the battle and Hulk's got a baguette in his mouth. Like an anime girl who's late for school, Chris. <laughs> that old classic. I'm confused now. Someone made a joke about uh, we should put a new milestone on the Patreon to hire a hippie to follow Chris and play a poke boot. I think they're calling me a Snorlax, which I'm not cool with. I know. I don't. To anyone who's listening now, very the confused. The Poke Flute works on every sleeping Pokemon, Chris. That is true. But for anyone who's confused listening to this, I'm not putting on a voice modulator or anything. For some reason, OBS is just doing this to my voice today. I don't know why. It would be it would not be WMR without some technical issue in the way. So yes. I just want to explain that way in case people think like, oh, what, he's trying a shitty Batman modulator to make himself sound cooler? <laughs> 
you're, you're, you're like, what, Chris? No, that guy's lame. No, no, he no. falls asleep. He's supposed to be doing the podcast. No, I'm new, Chris. I'm, 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 I'm new, Chris. In my defense, this is new, uh, this new pills I was taking. It was to put me to sleep. It's, it's cool, man. I know. All right. Uh, so uh, I, I would recommend this series, though. I think that if you read the first couple of chapters and you enjoy it and you find it funny, then you're probably definitely going to join the ride. Um, the artwork, I think, really does help to carry it through. It makes the jokes funnier and it makes the drag moments better. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that it's I think it was interesting. I would definitely I would definitely say give it a try if you're into, you know, especially if you're into fantasy RPG stuff and you like uh, kind of subversions on stuff in that. So, that said, we've got a lot of manga to talk about this week. Do we? Uh, we've, we've got Jump Starts and we've got Boruto. We don't have One Piece, but uh, we've got more than usual on our on our uh, plates. So, I think that we're just gonna just gonna get into it uh, and uh, do the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap, starting off with My Hero Academia, number one hundred sixty-seven, number one hero starting line. So last time, Bakugo and the rest managed to win the hearts of the kindergartners or how, whatever the hell grade they're supposed to be in. Uh, and uh, we pick up at the end of that with kind of the aftermath of their playtime together, so to speak. Um, Bakugo is uh, tasked with cleaning up all the ice sculptures that they made that the kids were sliding down. And apparently he really, really, really likes doing it. And he's like, yeah, boom. It makes sense. I think we were wondering, or like, did Bakugo help with it? Because it made sense, like, Todoroki made the ice, you know, uh, Wind Dude managed to, like, blow the ice to help actually sculpt something, and uh, it seemed like Kami used her powers to be kind of that Aurora Borealis in the sky. I was like, did Bakugo do anything? It's like, no, his role was to blow he it all up afterwards. Plan, Chris. <laughs> he was the coach. Uh, so everyone's cleaning up. There is a uh, little bit of a discussion that happens between gang Orca and uh, the teacher um, where he's he, he says some you know, rather, you know, subdued wise words like oh, their behavior forces us adults to look in the mirror. Unleashing their quirks on people without hesitation is an educational concern. We may be heroes, but we don't always be around to keep an eye on them. Teaching them about quirks is up to you. Uh then at the end of everything, he gives some congratulations to the four students. So he's like, yes, cooperate to open up the kids' hearts. It was a ridiculous assignment, but you did well. I'm glad he acknowledges that. It was, like, it was kind of weird that we asked you to do this, but you did a good job. <laughs> it really just kind of, uh, it was Monday morning. Realized we didn't have an assignment for you guys. I panicked. Really scrambled. Hey, you did a good job, though. He apparently just, like, can't stand giving too many compliments, though, because eventually he's like, oh, yeah, good job, I see. Yeah, there's a lot of potential in you charts! <laughs> I'm not sure if he's, like, Sun or if he's just eccentric. Obviously, and... he's Sun Sun Nick. That's why he was Sun Dairy Shark last week. Turds! <laughs> Baka turds. <laughs> Stupid shit. <laughs> So the uh, four of them are actually relatively friendly with each other as they are walking out of the testing facility, uh, except for Bakugo, because he's Bakugo, you know. Um, and uh, they spot uh, Shishikura talking with uh, President Mike and uh, Toshinori and Endeavor. 
And uh, Kami says something that kind of pisses him off because he, she, what was it? She says, Shishikura's chatting with the symbol himself all night. Crazy. What you talking about? Life and stuff? <laughs> it's like the most broad thing you could just guess at. What are you talking about? Stuff? <laughs> what are you talking about? Things? <laughs> Topics? <laughs> words? Are you discussing words and ideas? Subjects? <laughs> Concepts? <laughs> Um, and he gets pissed off. He's like, we're talking about you, you idiots. <laughs> For reals? <laughs> Me? <laughs> like toast. Oh. <laughs> toast my goats. That's great. Oh, boy. Um, they bring up that, yeah, we're kind of talking about why the League of Villains, you know, kind of abducted you or, or tried to have someone be an imposter of you. And she's like, yikes. <laughs> Doesn't seem very concerned about this at all. I wonder if the joke is to just make her like a very dim-witted airhead. Because that's what she definitely comes across as. Like somebody who doesn't grasp the concept of anything. Where they're just like, you were kidnapped for a reason and impersonated. Are you worried about that? She's like, I <laughs> was? <laughs> that sounds bad. What does kidnap mean? I'm not a kid. I'm 15. Yeah, I'm an adult. They adult napped me. They're like, that's not the <laughs> point. I think we're gonna go take an adult nap now. <laughs> oh no, I missed my appointments for three days. <laughs> hey, there's only two. Um, but uh, what comes from this is that Shishikura brings up. Yeah, it looks like cooperation between our schools is going to happen now and joint practical training is on the table. Um, Endeavor in the meantime approaches uh, Todoroki and very awkwardly, he's like, oh, it's been a while Shoto. You've changed a lot. He's like, goes to like pat him on the head. It looks like, I think that that's what he's going to do. Like a congratulatory pat, which is weird to do to anyone, but <laughs> To your 15-year-old son who has a, a deep-rooted hatred of you is especially weird. Um, and, of well, course, Todoroki... Look, Nick, it, anyway. makes, it makes sense. He can't hug him because he's made a fire in his chest. <laughs> and he would hurt him. So he's doing the next best thing, which is the head. I would hug you, but I'm kind of made of burning. <laughs> I, won't, I don't want to incinerate you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Endeavor's real problem. He's like, he flashes back to when he was a kid, hugged his 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 like build a bear. <laughs> I just want to be loved. <laughs> I can't touch anyone. <laughs> They're like, you can touch plenty of things. Just don't push it against your chest or turn it off. He's like, no. It's even worse than lightest touch, because everyone screams when I kill them. <laughs> He's looking at, like, an X-Men bag, and he's like, Oh, Rogue, I know how you feel all too well. I book on fire. No! Rogue! Rogue! Oh, why do I burn everything I love? <laughs> oh, my face! My burning face! <laughs> That's what I get for trying to make out with pictures of my favorite heroine. <laughs> my flaming mustache incinerated her. <laughs> Weird, perverted, <laughs> unloved endeavor. <laughs> um, 
so uh, Endeavor endeavors to reach out to his son in this moment. Uh, he, he says, Shoto, I'm proud of you, son. And Inasa is watching him uh, as he does this and observing an apparent change in him. To drive this home, we get like sh- shots that aren't side by side, but are you know of Endeavor's eyes from the moment that, in- that Inasa saw him way back at his flashback to where he's seeing him now, and his eyes look completely different. Uh, but as Inasa is watching this, Endeavor says, "I'm hoping to become a hero you can be proud of." As your father and the number one hero, I want to be deserving of those titles. And Todoroki's just like, yeah, I get love with that. Uh, clearly, it doesn't work. Uh, but he doesn't really have a lot that he can say to him in that instance. Mm-hmm. If he's because he's he can't really be negative to him. But if he's if he's going to be hard on him in this scenario, he would be hard on him in every scenario, I think. Now. Another endeavor is like the worst dad, like uh, in this series. That said, this manga is about a lot of this manga is about people who are fuck ups who try and make themselves better. Uh, that's I think one of the reasons why, for example, a lot of people don't like Bakugo because of the crimes he's done in the past, but he's trying to be better now, and that makes him more interesting than if he just stayed a piece of shit all the way through. The fact that characters can change is one of the things that makes them so interesting. And the fact that it never realizes the position he's in, not just as the number one hero, but also as a dad. And maybe you should do a better job at that. That's pretty cool. I completely understand anybody who feels like Endeavor shouldn't be someone who should get redeemed. Because he did do some pretty awful things. You know, in the context of the series, he did abuse children. He has been consecutively, essentially genetically breeding the ultimate hero and it sounds like more or less abandoned any child that didn't meet that goal uh so i can understand why people wouldn't like him but i i agree with you there's there's definitely a large theme in the series about power and how that power can then make you a good hero endeavor has been one of the strongest heroes but he's not been one of the best heroes you know um and i i do like this idea of seeing him get sort of a redemption to him i understand why some people don't like it and that's perfectly fine it's it's sometimes tough to overlook the fact that he did these awful things especially when you consider real life there's a lot of times where you know you have abusive family members and that's something not a lot of people are willing to forgive you know um just speaking from my own personal experience though i had a very rough relationship with my dad growing up and eventually kind of opened up it took time but now we have a great relationship that's not going to be the uh catholic truth for everybody it's not going to be universal but you know i am that's why i think for myself personally i'm a little bit more open-minded to this and a bit more willing to be like yeah let's get a cool character redemption or for endeavor i'm really excited about but you know i want to stress that i totally understand anybody out there who's like no this guy doesn't deserve one and i think that if it's going to be some sort of like redemption thing that it never goes through it's not going to be just like repairing his relationship with his son but with his entire goddamn family. Oh, yeah. He's got a number of kids and also a wife who have been through a lot of shit because of him. Yeah. So, I mean, as long as they take time with this, it should be fine. It'd be really annoying to, like, next week. If people start getting angry at, like, Todoroki for not forgiving him, then it'd be like, oh, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, then we get uh, back to Inasa. 
and he punches himself in the face and then runs up to Endeavor. I don't... I love Kami's expression during this because she watches him punch him in the face and then she says this look like, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? What's, what's up? What would you just do that for? Like, she is. The, she and the rest of the audience are just like, I don't know why you just punched yourself. I don't know if he's driving himself into action or if he's doing it because he wrote off Endeavor or what. But uh, regardless, he punches himself and then rushes up to Endeavor and he's like, I'm rooting for you. And Endeavor is clearly caught off guard by this. And he's like, yeah, thanks. You're bleeding like crazy. <laughs> he's, he didn't just like, you know, slap himself. Through. He fucking clocked himself, gave himself a bruised cheek and a busted nose and bit his tongue. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, thanks. You're bleeding like crazy, though, bro. Um, I, I, one of the things I like about this is because it actually kind of shows a, little, a, a similarity between Endeavor and Todoroki, because that's that's a. That's a Todoroki line there, too. It's just, it's, you know, says something and he's like, just makes a dry observation about it. <laughs> um, and so we get a bit of a montage of everyone, you know, parting ways. Um, and uh, then we get to a few days later, we're catching up with, uh, with Midoriya. And he narrates a lot of the stuff that's been going on recently while we were off following Bakugo and company. And uh, so they attended Night Eye's funeral. Um, by the way, Fat Gum in funeral garb. Oh, <laughs> makes me so sad. <laughs> Just this big black suited sad man. This round <laughs> person. Um, I think it's because he looks like if the grimace was attending a funeral right now. It's like <laughs> you're like you're not human. Like you're you're close of humanoid shape, but you're clearly not human. And putting you in a tuxedo at a funeral just it like feels like a like a cartoon character like saying around like oh Barney we're gonna miss him. <laughs> oh boy, uh, and then he establishes some stuff that uh, gone on uh, for example uh, work studies have been put on hold for a while which makes sense because uh wow you guys went through a lot let's let's put you on pause for a little while established that centipeter has taken over night eyes agency for the time being uh they're waiting for you know Miria to get back with them uh airy uh, regained consciousness and apparently they have discovered that uh her horn was linked to the power of her quirk and now that she is more docile, it is shrunk to a small bump, basically. Uh, then we uh, cut to the present, essentially. Uh, class in session being taught by ectoplasm. Math class, Chris. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about the, the way that this thing plays out. And then I want to talk about a detail that I seized okay. upon. Okay. So uh, the joke of it is that ectoplasm puts up this really complicated math formula on the board and everyone is like blown away by it. You know, Jiro's like, well, good grief. Uh, freaking Kaminari has his, like, I use my quirk too much reaction to trying to solve this problem, which is pretty great. Uh, even Yayorozu is struggling a little bit with it, which causes Tokoyami to say it's even stumping Yayorozu, our A student. 
it's truly an it, it's it's truly an integral of darkness, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> it's fucking geek. <laughs> So Deku goes into overdrive and uh, raises hand to answer the question, and he's wrong. And then Yayirozu raises her hand to answer the question, and and she gets it right. Um, so the joke, of course, is it's an insanely difficult problem. Deku almost gets it. Yayirozu does get it. Um, and there's a, bu- a bunch of different little jokes here and there that I really like. Like Bakugo, like when he hears that Midori answered the question wrong, he's like, yeah. Fucker. <laughs> He's like, fuck that guy. <laughs> I actually saw some people commenting, I think on, uh, I think on Twitter, actually, uh, pointing out, like, hey, you know, back in, like, chapter one, Deku was too nervous to, like, answer questions in class like this. And now he's like, so, hey, character development over the course of years. Good stuff. Now, that's the joke. That's the, the sequence that plays out here. Deku was close, but uh, he was wrong. And he's been trying extra hard in his lessons and everything else to try and improve himself. Now, the integral that they have to solve. I was curious about it. Uh, so I took a look, a close look at it uh, in the Viz Reader. And I thought, it's like, okay, well, this is, this is a ridiculously complicated, not a really ridiculously complicated one, but it's a hard one. It's a hard one. Uh, I could not solve it. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll try and solve it and we'll see how far Nick gets and everyone can laugh about how he's forgotten everything that he learned in high school. But then I looked closely and I was like, this actually isn't a complicated integral at all, because if you look at the Viz version of it, it zeroes itself out because it's inside of the sets of parentheses that it says there. It's e to the x minus e to the x in the numeral, the numerator rather, of both of the sets of parentheses. So you're trying to find the integral of a function that is zero constantly and i was like why the fuck are they struggling with this why why are they why are they come up with something like 117 over 28 or 107 over 28 is the answer like, that's not right at all what the fuck and i was like hmm i'm curious about something so i went and hunted down a scanlation of this chapter and i saw that the formula is different so i <laughs> <laughs> so for some reason, the Viz version edited this formula that Ectoplasm puts up on the board for them to solve. And they, when they did that, they put it in wrong. And you can see a bunch of the differences uh, between them. For example, there's no lines to, sh- to indicate that there are fractions. There is a plus sign instead of a minus sign. There are negative signs that are missed. I think that the only reason that it happened is because it's bigger in the Viz version and it looks clearer. But I don't know why you would bother to do that, because one, it's not a necessary component of the joke. And two, it's not covered up by anything. It's not interfering with any of the speech bubbles or sound effects or anything like that. So I looked at that. And I was like, why did they do that? <laughs> I'm trying to even comprehend any part of this math problem, and it's all beyond me. What the fuck does log mean? Uh, log is basically the inverse of, uh, an exponent. So like, you know, if you cube something, uh, then a logarithm will basically be the inversion of that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can give um, me a thousand years to answer this and I would just be like, I, I, I don't just kill me. 
I literally look was when I was looking into this, I literally looked up a integral, a definite integral calculator. And I punched in the Viz version. And it was like, just to make sure I was like, no, no, that comes out to zero. All right. And then I tried to punch in the original version and I broke it. So <laughs> it's a really difficult problem. If nothing else, this conversation has enlightened me that I am definitely not the nerd of this podcast. I took higher level math in high school. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm impressed by it. It's just, it's helped me that I'm like, I guess I'm the cool one in Weekly Monday Recap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway, so Uraka and Ida come over. Uh, and they're like, oh, you're putting a lot of effort into your studies lately. That's cool. Hey, you want to, you know, get some lunch? And uh, Deku uh, starts to get up with them. He's like, yeah, I'm really hungry. All of a sudden, Aoyama comes over and shoves some cheese in his mouth. And Deku's like, and Aoyama says like, oh, yes, it's mild and easy on the palate. Yeah, you want some more? Like shoving more cheese in Deku's mouth before he's even finished the bite that he's given him already. Um, and, uh, so everyone's freaked out a little bit by this, but he's just like, Hey, you know, Aoyama, you always eat by yourself. Why don't you come, you know, eat with us? And Aoyama's like, no, 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 no. You because does his whole typical, I am super fancy thing. He like goes over to his desk and like lays out, where was he keeping this? Like find China, a wine glass. <laughs> it just appears. That's his real quirk, like the manifestation of his fancy meal. <laughs> that would be great if that was his secondary quirk for some reason. Like he had a combination quirk. He's like, I could shoot lasers with my belly button, or I could make fancy dinnerware appear as I need it. Also, they, um, I think they allow me to drink wine, I guess, as a student. There, there are no <laughs> concerns about that. What is actually in his wine glass, do you think? <laughs> I mean, it could just be like a fancy fruit juice, but he's eating such like pompous and hoity-toity cheeses and food. I would not be shocked if he was just like unsophisticated enough to have wine. That would be a very teenage thing to do where they're just like, no, no, I'm more mature than my fellow compatriots. I definitely can have some wine. I'll handle it well. Just like, just like uh, Tokoyami is the epitome of the fucking like dark edgy kid. He's the I'm more advanced for my age kid. Just a very different Shunibio kind of thing. Ooh, actually, someone just brought up a good thing. It's blood because it's toga. I don't know. They brought it up. It was interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's related to the to what how this chapter concludes, Chris. Let's find out. Um. So, narration and uh, from Deku says like you know his actions made quite an impact, but still none of us had any idea what Aoyama was ever thinking. And then we cut to later in the night. Deku's going to sleep after studying. It was then that he started to reveal his true nature. And Aoyama is outside of Deku's window watching him sleep. Ooh. Hot. It's a very, very un-Aoyama expression on his face, too. Like, you never see him, like, kind of, like, grimace like that. So, should we throw out some theories as to what the hell this means? I I'm going to say right you. away, I, I basically kind of gut reaction was like, he's not the imposter or anything like that. He's that not the this isn't, 
I was like, this isn't actually nefarious. Because, come on, like, is something as obvious as, like, he was acting weird in class, and then he was watching Deku sleep. He was like, no, no, no. He's not doing anything villainous at the very least. He might be acting creepy, like Aoyama do, but he's not just going to be, like, the traitor or Toga in disguise or something like that. So what are you, what are you theorizing? You're saying he's, he's a weird dude, that's it? I think that there is... I think that there is something that Aoyama has... I don't know. I think that there is something that he wants from Deku. Um, maybe he I'm not sure what it is. Picked up on the idea that he has like an all for one ability. Like maybe he's made that connection. You keep getting stronger know. with a similar quirk to All Might after he gets weaker. I did also actually check on uh, Reddit, um, the My Hero Reddit, and people were throwing around theories and stuff. One of them was that uh, maybe Aoyama is like Deku, and his naval laser beam doesn't focus his power, but actually produces it. Um, which I don't know about that. Um, but uh, and then there were some people who were like, oh, he's the imposter or something like that. Or he's, you know, he's, he's the traitor of the group. I would say if that's what it turned out to be. I think that would be an interesting twist in my mind, if only because Aoyama was such like a nothing character before this. He was a goofy, fun character, but like in the class of, you know, 1A, he was definitely on like the lower tiers of interest. And you can definitely mm-hmm. take a character like that and turn them evil and have it be really effective because it gives them a new layer that they didn't have before. While you don't have to necessarily take away what made them like fun centric too. So I would be interested yet. I, I I feel like I super super posh villain Aoyama. <laughs> He's Look, like Papillon from Busarenkin. There's there's a couple examples I want to give, but they'd be spoilers for the games they're from. But I, there are plenty of examples of very like f- not flurry, but like um, eccentric characters who turn out to be the villains in the series they're in, and it's like oh makes sense. Um, I do think that's what's going to happen though, because the setup to this stinks heavily of the exact same setup they used to be like and that was the last time i saw ida when he was still a hero or whatever that like setup was that made it sound like ida was going to go full anti-hero or whatever and that's obviously not where things go it was very much like a a, a, a misdirection and almost kind of like a cheating narrative from horikoshi to be like set up for drama that really isn't true when you look back on it it's, mm-hmm. that, it's that same like you know, predictive reading. Like, none of us had any idea what Ayama was thinking. It was then that he started to reveal his true nature. His true nature to be like, I like watching people sleep. It's my kink. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's just, like, the panel after this one is like Ayama reaching into his pants. <laughs> and we never saw Ayama at the academy again. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird, um, yeah. <laughs> but hey, I like this chapter. Um, I, I think I like it more for the stuff with Endeavor more than anything else, but I, I, I think it still, it still works. Yeah, in a million years, I don't think that after last week we would have been like, oh yeah, next chapter's going to end with Aoyama creeping on Deku. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's do Food Wars next. Chapter, oh, okay. uh, chapter 247, Ice Queen. So last time, uh, Arina presented her souffle doriaki hybrid thingy and uh, offered it for Momo to taste. 
This chapter begins with Momo kind of being dismissive with it, uh, saying that, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cute, sure, it's not half bad, but it's only a 95 out of 100 on the cuteness scale. God damn it, Nick. God damn it. I thought Food Wars would be the one to go beyond it, but no. Once again, we have another manga with fucking power levels, all right? It's only 95 out of 100 on the cuteness scale, so fucking she's going to have to evolve and go beyond to get a 96 out of 100, and then they're going to go beyond. It's going to be 105 over 100 on the power fucking cuteness scale. Momo's going to, like, put on a scouter for cuteness, but, like, the, the, the lens is, like, bedazzled. <laughs> oh, it's, it has, like, little bunny ears on top of it, so it's really intrusive and annoying. It's it's actually got like uh, like a V sign built into the the scouter that holds the lens. <laughs> oh god! So yeah, Momo says that the cuteness of the dish has been ruined by sticking bean paste right in the middle, turning into a dorayaki. Having the bean paste in there messes up the va- the airy texture. Blah 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 blah. You should have just left it out instead of putting it in there. Then your dish would have been perfect one hundred. So I don't need to n- even taste it to know that it gets docked points. But Arianna challenges her and says, mm, they soon you'll see. So uh, Momo does something actually that I find kind of odd because she consults Butchie. She's like, what do you think? Should we should we, should we do her a favor and taste it? Yeah, let's do it. It's like, okay, that part I get. But then as, her conti- as part of her continuing I abuse my stuffed animal thing goes on, she uses Butchie's head as like a booster for the plate. So it puts Butchie on her lap and then the plate on the lap. So she's eating on... That's a weird thing to do, okay? <laughs> also, that's that, that muzzle of that stuffed animal is never going to hold your plate steady. You're going to spill it immediately. Come on. Hey, Nick, she only looks like she's five, okay? She's an adult. <laughs> she can certainly balance a plate. So she tries a bite of it and uh, has a heart eyes reaction. Um, so everyone's like, oh my god! Momo Senpai is head over heels for someone else's dessert! Uh, and we get an explanation of what Arina did in order to prepare her dish, which was to use a secret ingredient, Greek yogurt. I immediately had a problem with this because I eat Greek yogurt very frequently. It's very often my breakfast in the morning. And I'm going to tell you this. Greek yogurt is horrendous. It is awful. I do everything in my human power to make it as digestible as possible. And only then... Is it moderately possible? And this is like basically dumping enough like chocolate flavored protein powder to essentially make it like jello pudding. Even then, it's still something I have to force down. It's not good. Greek yogurt is disgusting. Well, clearly, Chris, you need to put it through a coffee filter. Apparently. That's the only that's... way that's the only way to make it better, to, to combine it with like my second least favorite food on the planet. <laughs> the, the, the next step is to put some herring in it as well and get a trifecta. <laughs> now don't get me wrong. Oh. The, the the health benefits to Greek yogurt, phenomenal. The taste, I would never add it to anything for taste. Uh, so basically, she filtered out the, the Greek yogurt using a coffee filter so that it wouldn't overpower the bean paste and everything that she was putting in. And so this all combines together uh, to make the souffle taste super awesome and good. Uh, Arina explains that the answer I sought could only be found by going above and beyond what is commonly considered correct and had I not seen Tadakoro's Doriaki dish, which boldly challenged its notions, it never would have occurred to me to make my souffle. And Alice explains to Megami that she named her dish Souffle la guerre de grâce, or however the hell you pronounce that, I don't know French, 
And she says, grâce, grâce is the French word for grace, but not necessarily in the elegant sense. It also means blessings. And the Japanese word for that is megumi. It's like, oh, that's a cool little detail, honestly. Uh, so Aaron's whole thing is like, yeah, the reason why you were so thrown off when your contest with megumi is because she aimed for 120%, even and abandoning the safety within the correct and she had a fine style you couldn't comprehend, which left you incensed. So this ties into Ariana because she thinks to herself, I know that feeling too, because I experienced it myself when in my castle, or my rule is absolute, on that day, you appeared looking over at Selma. So, of course, this is more about Ariana's development than anything else. Now, I know that some people are going to be upset with... The fact that Megabee seemingly got the shaft in order for Arena to look good. And uh, I, I, I don't want to agree, but I kind of do. Um, I think that in terms of uh, showing how Aaron, how far Aaron has come, this is very good. Uh, I think that it works perfectly well. The parallels are there. Uh, and you see that it's not just her personality, but her cooking that has evolved from this, although we didn't really get a lot of examples of her cooking before she went through this transformation, so oh well. Um, but trying to tie Megami into it, I know that you kind of had to do it because of the direct sequence of events from Megami getting defeated to Arena winning. Um, but for one thing, it was really short, this whole matchup. And this theme also wasn't really built up too with uh, Megami. Basically, if I were to say like, okay, your assignment class is to do this, this, and this, and include these themes and stuff, then you guys did the exact minimum. But I know that you're capable of more, so you guys get a C. You know, you, you followed the strict requirements of the assignment, but come on, you gotta go above and beyond. You gotta shoot for 120%. Come on, guys. So... I get why it's frustrating too, and I think again, this probably all could have been very alleviated had there been some matchup for Megumi to have that she just won in prior to losing to, to Momo. Just the fact that she really hasn't had like her own victory in quite a while is, is discouraging. I do really like what this does for Farina though, in terms of showing not only has she grown as a chef, but very much as a person. And the fact that she is, as they describe, you're the Ice Queen. You know, this moment that shows she was thinking for her classmates in this situation and using them as inspiration. I actually really do like the sentiment of that's what made Todoroki, not Todoroki, Megan be so terrifying there was that she aimed for 120%. Because that absolutely is kind of the, the direct conflict that exists between Central and the Resistance. Is this idea that cooking should be about trying different things. Uh, you know, Momo's cooking very much does feel reminiscent of the idea what Central's all about, like the perfect mm -hmm. dish replicated by everybody. Whereas, you know, Momo's dish or te uh, te Megumi's dish and then subsequently Aaron has tried for something very avant-garde and crazy. And you know, one time it didn't work and that's fine. She's still a freshman student, essentially. She'll, she'll learn and get better, you know, and Aaron now managed to, to make it work, which is a big, you know, character growth moment for her. I like it. I think it works to a certain extent. It just, it does fall into a thing. It's like, God, why could we give Megami a match before this to give her mm. something, basically? Have her stomp hat guy or hat yeah. girl earlier. 
Well, she was the fifth seat, Nick. She couldn't have possibly stood up to the new fifth seat on the council. Uh, so Momo has, is forced to acknowledge that this Doriaki is too cute, making a heart symbol with her hands, while her clothes dissolve. Thanks for that. It's okay, guys. She only looks like she's eight, or however the hell. I don't know. Eh. So, uh, Arena is declared the winner, and uh, she, you know, kind of looks over her shoulder and says, It was a pleasure to serve. Arena is declared the winner. And then someone goes up to her and is like, Hey, you, you kind of, you know, used my line there and just put your own spin on it. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny. She stole Megumi's dish. Why would she just steal Silva's line, too? Let <laughs> me start speaking in an Italian accent, too. She's like, What, 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 what are you even talking about? Uh, I do everything original. This is original voice. Just a little twist on it, like it's a Sicilian accent instead or something. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Megami is tearfully thankful to Irina, which also catches Irina off guard. And now then everyone turns to look at the remaining matches. And we finally get the, the other matchups that uh, we have been looking forward to having revealed. And it's basically what we, we expected, right? I think that we all agreed that it was going to be Ishiki versus Sukasa. And uh, Takumi versus Rindo. So, yeah. uh, so we're gonna get to Ishiki against Tsukasa next. And I think we're we're both on the expectation that those are both gonna be two losses then for for the resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we still? Because I think I had the idea that we might get Soma against uh, Takumi, and the Takumi wins, and eventually then uh, Aaron has to be. Yeah. Do you still think, are you still holding on to it's going to be Arena against Rindo and yes. they'll both win? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, yeah, we're going to, we're not going to find out the result of that for another like four months or something. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get into our extra series that we have to go through because we've got two jump stars to talk about and we've also got a Boruto chapter. So, um, we're gonna, I think, keep all three of these more to summaries, or at the very least the first two, I think we should just kind of summarize as opposed to going all the way through them. Um, I think that we'll begin with Act Age. Okay. Uh, which, uh, basically is that, uh, the premise of it is that there is this, uh, teenage girl named, uh... What's her that's, name? That's not the most attractive name they could have had for their female lead character. Uh, K. 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 Young Yanagi. So, K uh, is auditioning for a role as an actress at tryouts, and it's uh, the series is all about uh, acting and method acting. Uh, she has this phenomenal ability to embody an emotion after she uh, exposes herself to it a whole lot, uh, particularly if she watches a bunch of movies where that are all about that. And then she just kind of comes to quickly embody that. Um, she has to look after her two younger siblings because their parents are gone. Uh, and uh, so there's a director for these trials that really likes what she can do. But the producer is like, no, that kind of acting is bad. It's going to lead her to destruction and, and to, to, you know, it's dangerous. So we don't want to do that. 
the director pulls some strings and gets her a call back, however, uh, to be in the final four. Uh, they are given the prompt to that uh, there is this uh, dangerous wolf uh, in, in a force that is going to attack you. The director gives some additional details, which allows Kay to uh, embody that moment in her head. And instead of showing fear, she shows aggression and protectiveness because her siblings were brought to the tryouts and so she moves to defend them and beats the wolf into submission, which is kind of awesome, actually. Um, it's an imaginary wolf, but whatever. She doesn't get the part because the producer's like, no, I said no, no. But the director quits the project and uh, decides to make his own movie and goes out to recruit her. And that's how the whole chapter plays out. This series is so good i'm ashamed I, I, i'm almost upset it's in jump not because i want to like i'm not trying to shit on the quality of jump but this is a series i feel like it's not going to be appreciated for doing something as crazy as it is because not just an acting manga it's a manga about method acting that continuously hammers on how fucking dangerous and psychotic it is as like a way of expression like the whole worry that they have about this girl is to like she's gonna lose herself like, that's what the director does keep hiring for. She's like, she's really good. This is an insane person, though. Like, we can't do this. Like, she's she's gonna she's gonna get lost in this. And I just found that such an interesting direction to take on a series about acting. Because we, we I don't know if we ever read too many acting manga before, but we did Skip read, Beat. Well, that's what I was about to say. We did read Skip Beat, which had like a subplot about acting. And there was method acting to a certain extent in that, but it was never to like the same degree of what we're getting here. I don't know why. I, I find something very interesting about this series. Maybe it's because uh, she has a tendency that I have as well, where she can't smile naturally. <laughs> it just comes off, like, terrifying. Like, she's trying, she's in the tub with her little younger siblings, and they're like, smile. And she's like, Aah. and they're like, no, that's terrifying. Stop that. <laughs> and I'm like, that's me. That's me. I know that feeling. I, I just find it very interesting. I, I, I know that this is something that's going to be very much like a matter of taste for people. And that's, that's, that's I think, very not intentional, but that's going to be sort of part of the process. Like, the wolf scene's going to be weird to a lot of people. They're like, I don't get it. I've been around enough, like, weird eccentric actor types that I totally understand their mindset of like, no, the wolf's in the room. You have to act for it. You got to do something innovative. You got to do something crazy. Like, I can see that scene playing out more or less. And... I don't know. I just enjoy it. I think that there's a lot of well-written parts to it, but I'm just, I'm fascinated at the idea of the taking on the idea of method acting and being like, this girl is fucking insane. Like I, I, it's almost like, um, like a black swan or like a whiplash in my mind where I'm like, you have to mm. almost take this to the nth degree to be like, this is dangerous. They probably won't. It's jump. They'll probably make her the goddamn hero who solves everything. But like, it's just an interesting idea to pursue in my mind. I don't think it's going to work. Ultra, um, uh, yeah. I, I do actually agree. I don't think it's the right magazine for this. Um, I don't think that I don't think that with the uh, general structure, of this demand of Jump series, I don't think that it's going to work out. Um, also, I don't really like Kay. Um, I don't think that she's actually all that interesting. And the fact that we did read Skippy, which has a lot of similarities to this, I've, I liked Kyoko way more. Uh, in Skip Beat. And also I thought that her method acting bits were way more intriguing, despite the fact that Kay has a lot more to work with because yeah. of the way that it's laid out. You know, just like, oh, you imagine this ridiculous action scene in your head. It's like, but then Kyoko's got to do all this 
subtle stuff and it still somehow leaves more of an impact. And I think that honestly it just comes down to the fact that there are different types of series and that idea works better in one structure than it does in the other. It also took a while, I think, when we were at Skip Beat to actually get into some of the really heavy acting stuff that mm-hmm. really showed off where it works. We're jumping right into it here. And as you said, she has a lot more to work with, but it's tough to really grasp the context of everything when this is the, you know, the first chapter. We're also understanding the world, everything that's happening, all that stuff going on. And I feel like this could be a series that in a different magazine is like a dark tragedy or something happening here or just a really interesting character exploration. But I worry that it's going to, at the end, be like, method acting is the best thing you could possibly do. Now let's all get ready to give an Academy Award to Leonardo DiCaprio's next movie, Man on Fire Impaled on a Hook. <laughs> Just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> all right. Uh, I guess then we'll go over to uh, Bose Beats. Bose be- 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 Beats. I'm only gonna get that uh, one more time. Okay. <laughs> this ain't second round. So uh, they were on a us. they were on a plane. Uh, Tamaki bonded with a little girl, and a demon attacked, and Tamaki beat it because he has a lot of key or the equivalent of key in this uh, universe. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I think that this was a necessary chapter because the first one was all about Tamaki, but it wasn't about what Tamaki could do. Uh, This is establishing what he is going to be doing, what action scenes with him are going to be like, as opposed to that guy who brought a minigun into the fight. I I think the big this chapter was missing was something cool and awesome like they had last time like the minigun in the fucking like little satchel this this stuff now is just too normal more or less the other guy had a taser (laughs) yeah they have like a little space gun but it's just like i feel like where that that chapter hooked me was in that moment and i wish the series was just as over the top as that moment is i almost kind of like feel like the series needs to be like Pacific Rim or something like that, where you need to just kind of embrace going over the top with things. That's what I thought the minigun was. Like, oh, we're we're the, you know, Buddhist monk organization who just happened to fight demons using our miniguns, the assault rifles. Like, that's just like a very silly kind of big situation that I was kind of uh, eager to see more of and to see like a further world that kind of embellished in that and, and, and you know, uh, really like the... Uh, marinated in it so to speak so when this chapter came around and it was like one kind of nondescript laser beam rifle that doesn't really leave much to the imagination i was kind of disappointed i'm, I'm kind of hoping like next chapter fucking tamaki has to fight something else and he pulls out like his lightsaber morning star weapon like it's just like speaking crazy of lightsaber <laughs> uh yeah I don't know that that that's that's where I was on those beats. We just it's like okay, all I, right. I like the first chapter a lot better, but I'm not writing the series off yet. Mm. If if it has a great thir- third chapter, then hey, we'll see. All right, let's talk about Boruto chapter number twenty, scientific ninja tools. I'm just gonna uh, I'm gonna get the sad music queued up now though, Nick. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> 
What, the Jurassic uh, what's, Park? What's a, what's a good, like, uh, thank you for all the memories song that we can use? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we could do Gear Green Day. Do uh, Good Riddance. So, Al has cornered Boruto's team and Konohamaru and uh, Katasuke and uh, the guy that uh, Konohamaru was trying to save earlier, Mugino. Uh, Al has a minigun, a scientific ninja tool minigun, which he's shooting at everyone. Uh, And uh, so everyone's like, shit, we have to we have to fight them. Uh, Katasuke tries to stop him using his jutsu absorption gauntlet things. So Al basically is like, huh, okay, interesting. Uh, Konohamaru uses a Rasengan to blow up the Gatling gun. Uh, And uh, I was like, huh, all right. Konohamaru tries to interrogate him, despite the fact that they're in basically mid-combat, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, what was inside the container in the airship? And I was like, fuck off. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Konohamaru says, does it have anything to do with the organization called Kara? And I was just like, Shoragun! <laughs> uh, catches Konohamaru seemingly in the fucking head. Um, well, luckily, see, Al's just a bunch of trick arrows you understand so he actually hit him with his boxing glove bomb not the laser <laughs> ones that's why i just knocked him over see you know scientific ninja tools some of them are extremely effective but some of them are just you know like a little joke <laughs> yeah some of them are playful you know they have a personality they don't want to have fun these kunais that i'm throwing have boxing gloves on the end instead of blades <laughs> that makes them less aerodynamic and less effective as to as weapons no nick it's after you throw them then it opens up to a boxing glove like a spring on a boxing glove like, Boing. <laughs> actually no it's that it's a spring have the gun from one piece <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mini gun that shoots boots on springs <laughs> Not boots. Boots on additional guns that it shoots out. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Konohamaru is knocked to the ground. Al uses the opening to uh, drive uh, to catch Katasuke in a quick arm bar and yanks a gauntlet off of him. And he's like, oh, all right. So this absorbs the jutsu. That looks fun. Boruto tries to stop it with a Rasengan. He's like, absorb that. And kick you. And uh, he's like, good job, Katasuke. It is a great invention. I will use it for evil. He doesn't exactly say that, but yeah, man. Um, I don't know what it is with this combat. Everyone just stopping and talking for so much of it. Well, the entirety, you you should know. Well, I guess he did say not to do anything. But it is worth knowing that both uh, Sarada and Mitsuki, or Mizuki, are doing nothing. They are just standing there. (laughs) Like, it's one of those situations where you're like, it's one on, like, seven right now. How is he getting the upper hand on you guys so much? How did we say we're going to attack him (laughs) all together? And, And how did we attack? 
one at a time. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> well, it's like, look, I get he's strong. I get that's the concept behind it. But you'd think they'd at least be like how uh, Kakashi kind of organized during the, the, mist, or the mist arc where he's like, Look, just surround the bridge builder. Like, the one dude we can't, like, get killed right now. Your mission was to deliver fucking the doctor to that place safely, basically, and test these things out. Protect this guy. Like, just stand around to make sure he doesn't steal his super awesome jutsu nullifying technology. They're like, I knew there was something we were supposed to do. <laughs> got, I, I got really distracted in Animal Crossing on my phone. I'm sorry. It's when Earth events go on. The one thing that Serata, you know, brings up in, as she's playing is like, I've got this smoke flash bomb that we could use to get away, but Konohamaru and Mugino don't know the signal that I'm going to use it, so I'll just end up blinding them if I use it. It was always one of Mugino's biggest weak points that he didn't know what signals were. No, the were. signal. It, 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 it's one of his, like, trademark character gimmicks, really. <laughs> He just has like Konohamaru and Mugino sitting in a car. Mugino's at the wheel, gets them into a car wreck. Mugino, what were you thinking? Didn't you see the stop sign? Sorry, I didn't know what the signal meant. <laughs> it's like I thought red meant go. <laughs> and Konohamaru was like a fender halfway through his head. It's like, oh, Mugino, <laughs> you're my best friend. <laughs> I, I'd be so sad if you died. <laughs> Mugino, I didn't you see the shore coming up when you were piloting the ship? I didn't know what the lighthouse meant. Oh, Mugino. <laughs> That's their theme song playing. <laughs> Again, she's got like a huge shard of rock. <laughs> it always has some good armor facially disfigured for life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like at the end of the Punisher series. <laughs> uh, I will give that series credit. Established a villain actually very well. Okay, so. Um, Al goes on talking about some old bullshit for some reason. But uh, Mugino's like, I may not know the signal, but I do know what I'm needed for here. And he just grabs him in this reverse bear hug. And he says, all of you run, leave me and go. And I was like, die. And he activates another ninja tool in his arm, which goes, <laughs> that classic lightsaber sound effect. <laughs> I think that that is the tool revealing itself from his arm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That classic close up sound effect. And then, slash. And, uh, yeah, a blade comes out of his elbow and, uh, or I guess his forearm, and stabs Mugino through the, the torso. And so I was like, no way! <laughs> He's like, fuck you! I'm gonna die in no way is what you gave me! I fucking hate the Uchiha's. <laughs> Mugino, uh, however, uses the jutsu to collapse the ceiling of the cave on top of them, burying himself and Ow while they're still locked together. Uh, so, <laughs> so, Konohamaru goes, Mugino! And Serata goes, whoa. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> oh, gosh. I love that even the characters in this series don't give a fuck about Mugino in his life. 
He's Kodahara's like, he'd rather give up his life protecting his comrades than be a burden on them. I feel like Mugino's like yelling up through the rocks, Come save me now that he's unconscious! Help me! Remember my incredible thirst for life? It was one of my defining character traits! <laughs> Remember when I always hold you on those long car rides together that I and, and the only thing I'd fear more than death myself was being trapped underneath rocks and suffocating? Please no, help me! No, no, no. Damn it! Sasakibe would know this! <laughs> like together I imagine the two of them are up in heaven just like looking over their respective worlds like really change them. World never get into the likes of us again. And then they both turn to each other like, Wait, which one are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, all right. Kunohamaru makes the call. We mustn't let Mugido's sacrifice go to waste. Mugido's like, fuck you! <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> like, think he's like, all those traffic incidents that you got us involved in. Now it's time for my revenge! <laughs> On the way out, he's like, always remember the wise words that Mugina taught us. Boop, boop, boop. Don't nerd style rock breaker. And like, oh yeah, well, like the three lights he had. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of subtext to it. Oh man, just to uncover himself from the rocks pretty quickly. But he's like, I'm not letting any of you so get away. Mugina's sacrifice was for naught. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Everyone's he was my favorite okay. character in Boruto, Nick. Why do I always like the ones that just get a little? <laughs> so everyone's managed to get away for a bit. Kodahamaru says, Al dealt him a mortal blow back there. We probably couldn't have saved him. Sadly. Just flashing back to all the traffic accidents that he's been in. <laughs> And was like, hey, we've been able to save. <laughs> I'll never remember, I'll never forget the wise words that Mugino shared with me. Hey, Colonel Hammer, what's a red light mean again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Mugino, your wisdom, I will never forget. <laughs> the hand means come on across, we can cross now. <laughs> <laughs> like a tractor trailer just hits them. Kodohamaru, what do the man and woman walking hand in hand across the street, what does that sign mean? Ah! <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh, um, so we get a sequence. Katasuke blames himself for what has happened. He says everything is because of me. Uh, I was placed under genjutsu around the tuning exams, manipulated by someone. I acknowledge the scientific ninja tools. This is all my fault. Please forgive me, young master. This was partly because of me. Genjutsu, you know, did, I think, actually just amplify existing traits there. And uh, so actually that whole thing happened uh, with you in the tuning exams where I pushed you to use tools. Yeah, that was actually me, too. Uh, so uh, and it was like, yes, you know. And now I know that it was Al who placed me on the genjutsu, so this all sucks. Um, and uh, so Kodohamaru is like, all right, look, delivering this scroll is our priority. Delivering this USB scroll is our priority. It'd be wise for us to split into two groups, so I will act as bait and keep him occupied. But Katasuke is like, no, I should be the bait. Allow me to do it instead. 
Uh, I essentially brought this situation on us, the misuse of tools, the creation of monsters such as Al, however inadvertent, things would never turn out like this. If it were for me, my remorse is endless. So, Boruto's like, you know, maybe scientific ninja tools shouldn't have been invented to begin with. And so I was like, God damn it, Boruto! <laughs> Punches him. <laughs> No, 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 no. I was leading up to a cool misdirect. <laughs> I was like, this is like, uh, uh, maybe it should become a re- like recurring segment on WMR of like awkward, stupid exchanges in manga that are only vehicles to give a cool moment speech. Like this is right up along there with like, why do you say things you know you don't mean, Chad? Like, I don't know why I did. It would be really fucking stupid if that's what I decided to do. And that's one here, too, where he's just like, you know, I guess technology's really awful and I shouldn't shouldn't be here. Nart, Boruto, how do you say that? You better not be what you're thinking. Boom, gotcha, psych. It's like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, gosh. He has a much more heartfelt little speech after that where he's like, that is how I felt at the beginning. I hated them, but the tools I saw at your lab were different. They were lots of fun. I got excited to spy myself. And look at Shamaru. He's doing so well. And those tools were created to make people smile. Not to make anyone feel sad or to cause pain, right? It all depends on how you use it. A tool isn't inherently good or evil. Didn't Mr. Al say that himself? And this same guy is misusing scientific ninja tools he knows better, and he's still doing it, even killing her to suit his own needs. So I won't let him do it. Fair enough. And then he was like, hey, Kadaska, you know, cheer up. These tools were created for, were made for creating smiles, so don't you need to be the first one to smile? That's all. That's a nice sentiment. And then he's like, and now I've got a lightsaber. <laughs> so it's like, all right. We kind of knew that this was coming. It's such a, like an after-school special wave gauge was like, no, things are only good or bad depending on how you use them. So, but I have a lightsaber now. <laughs> this mode is way cooler now. And knowing full well that he has one, that Owl has one too, and that's what we're going to get is like some lightsaber fight Boruto now. So, all right. The whole thing, this chapter was like, hilarious and how like just so cliched it was like the character that we didn't know giving the noble sacrifice oh i can't believe he's dead anyway (laughs) and now we're gonna have a lightsaber battle now though so fuck it awesome (laughs) okay (sighs) we're only like halfway through and i feel exhausted (laughs) look boss magino is gonna do that to us all right. Chris, Dr. Stones, equals 43, Humanity's Final Six. What time is it? It's time to get stone, 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 stone. Don't do that. All right. <laughs> Continuing the flashback that we had last... <laughs> Got a little dizzy there. <laughs> you have immediately negated and reversed all the coolness you've gotten from Nick. No, no, Nick, with this voice, it works. With my voice this week, I can do that, because I sound super cool. All right. I think I sprained my elbow. (laughs) Continuing the flashback, where Senku's father, Byakia, got to go up to the International Space Station. Uh, And uh, we get a greeting of uh, Byakia and the other uh, crew members. Uh, exchange degrees. I like that as you're going through this, you can kind of see here and there 
like a little physical trait that has clearly been passed on to one of the Ishigami villagers, like uh, the uh, the idol. Um, what's her name? I forget. Lillian, Lillian the diva. Like her hair it looks very, very uh, reminiscent of uh, Kohaku and Ruri's. Yeah, that's clearly where she gets it from. Um, and uh, with the, there's a little bit of an of banter between them. Lillian pretends to be the, a real a real stuck up bitch. Is like, oh, I can't believe I have to go with these cramped passengers. I'm not like you. I paid fifty million dollars in order to be on here, and we're like, oh, and then she's like. I'm just kidding. I'm not a bit. I'm not actually a bitch. I just wanted to freak you out for a little bit. Um, and uh, everyone's getting along. There's there's some cool details. I like you know the fact that everyone's you know floating through the through the air uh, because they're in space. There's no gravity, so you know the way that they you know greet each other with hugs is different. Um, so you get some unique kind of body positioning uh, in these panels, which I like. Also, of course, it's used as an excuse to look at Lillian's ass in a couple of uh, panels, but. Whatever. I mean, her ass, her breasts, all those, all the, all the, the great. She parts. is a rather buxom lady. Um, we get a scene down on Earth of Senku, like has been tracking the stonified birds, uh, and uh, then um, he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna you know track this down." It's actually he says a really weird set of words where he's like sparrows across the earth are turning to stone so mysterious it's almost funny i'm getting excited it's just such a weird shonen line just like just like, it's like excitement weirdness funny how is he talking with that pencil just out nick i don't know <laughs> talking with the soul uh there's more banter that happens on the space station whoa, involving. Whoa, whoa. We cannot skip over this, Nick. What did I skip over? Well, I mean, we can't blast through what is this very pivotal introduction to this character that we are now going to get to know. And that is one of the members of this group who is the very curt one. It's very mm. no nonsense. Mm. And at first I was like, okay, it's space hashtag Ray basically what he is he's the, the super douchey annoying one who seems very up in his own ass about this space ray if you will <laughs> but I, I i started to realize something nick this man has very like two very distinct qualities to him he's sardonic kind of grumpy little uh little uh, anti-social and i was like that reminds me of one person on this podcast but he's also a huge hipster which reminds, me of, <laughs> which reminds me of another person on this podcast, and that's when I realized it, Nick. If you and me were to He's get, if you and me were to get our fusion rings together, and, <laughs> and we were to do our fusion dance, the result, of course, would be this guy, who I believe we would dub Norris. <laughs> well, the other one is Crick, and that's not a great name. <laughs> so I think Norris is the better fusion total. Of the we can't. Two we us. can't name. We can't name our fusion after the sound you make when you stretch. So no, that sounds pretty bad. Besides, I think there's like an alternate evil world, and that's where the other one is. So Crick is the one we fight in that universe, obviously. Right. With our pretentious, like eye rolling, sarcastic remarks, as like I also like also ride around on a unicycle. <laughs> <laughs> only, only listen to. Only listen to records on a like old school record player and shit. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, yes, we're introduced to him, and he's just like, "What's the point of having ramen? These nutrient pack, this nutrient jelly is perfect enough." 
And and Bianchi's like, come on, try this ramen. Hey, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Go check it out. It is actually exactly like a 90s commercial. It's like, you're having lame snacks? Try this on for size. <laughs> I think they used to literally do this with Tang commercials back in the day. I feel like there were like Tang commercials in space Whoa. and shit. Yeah, they're like, it blows my mind. And every time I'd get one, it'd be like, this sucks. I hate, I hate this. <laughs> Tang's not actually very tasty. <laughs> uh, so he has a weird reaction to it. And Bianca's like, see, yeah, it's super tasty, right? He's like, no, that's not it. Look out the window, the earth. And apparently that cosmic event that caused everyone to turn to stone was basically a giant fucking explosion uh, happening on the surface of the earth. Um, it does. It's not like, you know, a mushroom cloud or anything. It looks like, you know, almost a almost a kind of a energy blast uh, strikes the earth and sends out this wave of energy that causes everyone to be petrified. And of course, immediately Byakuya is thinking of his son down on the earth in danger. Uh, they establish that nobody can contact them because seemingly everyone on earth has been transformed. And to verify this, they manage to uh, sink into a fixed camera with a 24-hour live feed and they look at a freaking soccer stadium and everyone is frozen uh, in stone. So they realize, well, shit, everyone on Earth is turned to stone. So one of the people on the station is like, hey, let's not act rashly. <laughs> let's just wait here. <laughs> um, but Sardonic guy, is, Sardonic guy is like, how long are we going to have to wait? We no don't risk. know how long. Let's be right. Let's see his name. <laughs> Nris Nris says, well, how long are we going to have to wait for this? You know, with humanity in this state, we can't expect any help from Earth. And Byakuya is like, yeah, we should go back to Earth. It's not up to one of them to save us. We have to be the ones who save them. Uh, we six of the last remaining humans. We can't wait to be saved. We got to go save them. All of them. All seven billion. And uh, Dr. Stone's going to be off next week. So uh, that's leaving us on a pretty big note there. Of, uh, hey, there's clearly a lot that uh, Senku inherited from Byakuya, that ridiculous determination. Um, I think this is the first time that Dr. Stone has gotten a uh, a break like this. Yep. Which makes sense. I, I think it, hopefully this is going to become more of a practice for Jump to do when creators do these huge chapters that are clearly like culminations. They give them some time to get a week off or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um I would certainly make that a practice because it's a good chapter to leave off on. It stinks. I'd love to get a chapter next week, but hey, uh, I'd also rather uh, mangakas get breaks. Mm-hmm. Make that a regular thing for all your uh, regular stuff, yeah. Um, honestly, the uh, the station has a smaller crew than I was kind of expecting for uh, we have to make a village to repopulate the Earth. So, um, I, I also, it's, it's very helpful that it was a perfect ratio of boy girl boy girl <laughs> like how you're taking advantage they're like why was and you two one? just get left out oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> like thank god it wasn't like original plan of like five dudes and one chick and it's just like <laughs> vault 12 or whatever from the, the fallout series or just like it was hell it was hell oh god so, right. uh yeah let's go to we never learned then Yes, there we go. We never learn. Question 47. And the Oblivious X glimpses the depths of the abyss. So, we're not dealing with Kirisu anymore, thankfully. And this chapter starts off as uh, members of the Kram school are looking at results from the tests. And a big one is that Rizugata and Fumino uh, got first place 
in their skilled groups. So Fumino was uh, number one in language arts, and Rizu got number one in math for the practice test. And they're like, whoa, wow, I can't believe that, uh, you know, these people managed to get full points on the practice test. They're, they must be like perfect people. But they're obviously much more interested in the fact that they scored particularly low in the, you know, the subjects they're trying to get good in. So, you know, everybody's impressed by these two, but, you know, they keep seeing them go to Uyega for help, and they're like, whoa, that guy's training these girls? He must be, like, some kind of shadow emperor. And it's like, what does that even mean? Because I'm trying to think, like, what's the shadow A ruler emperor? from the shadows, you know? I guess. In my mind, I keep thinking, like, it's supposed to be a reference to something. The only emperor I can think of is the Digimon Emperor, and I'm like, I guess Uyega is <laughs> That's like the him. only emperor you can think of? <laughs> And Emperor Palpatine, Nick. <laughs> it's not like Emperor Palpatine. He's much closer to Ken, obviously. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> That's all I need. Technically, you're right. Done. <laughs> Give me my diploma. <laughs> uh, but they're also very upset because, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's practicing with all these cute girls and everything like that. And that's when, of course... Uh, Takamoto shows up and she's like, oh, look, I got 70 points. He's like, that's great. They was at 200, though, so it's still not really great. So they get upset when they see yet another cute girl kind of join in with them. And what I do find funny is the entire time this is happening, uh, Asumi is just on the side just being like, this isn't what cram school's for. Shut up and get back to work, you idiots. And like all the main cast start having this whole thing going on about like oh wait are you calling you wake up by his first name oh well i should start doing it too well oh and they try to come up with jokes for it and again you just see like Ashubi's on the side like well the guys are me like how dare he get, get them all to play, to do first name basis with him uh yeah and they're they're having this whole thing and uh ogata does threaten him by saying call me by my first name or I'll start calling you perv dog. <laughs> I was like, this is an oddly threatening moment first. Just watched some mobster movies recently. <laughs> uh, eventually class is over. Uh, it's pretty late. And Asumi is headed back home and she sees like the three guys who have been begrudgingly getting like annoyed at Yuega all day, kind of staying around moping about it. And she's like, are you really going to waste your energy on this? Like you've got exams coming up. Like fine. All right. Come follow me. And she shows them Uwega still in class, creating custom flashcards for all the other girls to basically help them study on all the questions that they missed. And she's mentioning, like, this is what he does virtually every day for the topics they st struggle with. And, you know, maybe he is a perv and a player. But even so, hypothetically, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive that he's willing to go that far. And they gain a new respect for him. And that's really basically the chapter. There's a bit at the end here that's that's kind of funny where, you know, she has like a little moment with him where she's saying, like, let's get back to work. And there's that beat of silence. And she's like, oh, what? You want to call me by, you want me to call you by your first name too? It's going to cost you. <laughs> well, the the note after that also is that, you know, they're, the three guys are also like, hey, you know, I thought that, you know, she she was, you know, she had seamless armor, but look how happy she looks. So that's some Shadow Emperor. So it's like she has also let her guard down around Yuiga and stops being serious around him. This is a sweet little thing. I like this chapter because it's 
very much a kind of run of the mill thing for a lot of Harry Potter series. Like, oh, the guy's watching the the, the 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 protagonist and being jealous of all the attention that he gets from these girls. I like it though because it's from Ayumi's perspective, and so that kind of puts a different twist on uh, things that we've seen normally from this. And Ayumi is a great character, and she has some great uh, little dry observations while all this stuff is going on. I could dig it. Uh, I I always enjoy her kind of moments there. It might be good though because there's not a tremendous amount of like Kirisu stupidity or comparisons about cup sizes <laughs> or things like that this week. So, Can you imagine like the thing that they're actually jealous of is like, Yuiga, how big are my tits? <laughs> yeah, they all start like putting their chests on the table, like feel them, feel how big. Which one of us has the biggest tits? Oh, like, I can't believe that guy is getting all this attention. <laughs> He's just I mean, like, like what the fuck st- am I? What has happened in this? Gales, Gales, we gotta study. What are we doing here? Like he's like, they're throwing themselves on the table, literally, and he's just like, but your math scores are so low. <laughs> okay. Uh, from there, then let's go on to the promised Neverland. Uh, chapter seventy-one: Real Intentions. So this is following up on Lucas showing Emma to the door that uh, Minerva uh, has pinned all of his stuff behind that they need the pen to get in. Lucas brings up that, hey, have you ever had any you know, like doubts about what's going on here? You know, that Minerva is like actually the enemy. The letter is a trap to lure us here to the hunting ground. And Emma actually is like, what? <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, I guess you never doubt him then. <laughs> But uh, he says that, uh, you know, he's been more suspicious since he found the door of uh, Minerva's real intentions. But then again, he's had 13 years to dwell on this. So that's going to come up eventually over that time. And they have a big all the answers are behind that door moment. And uh, they get the door to open because uh, Emma opens up the pen. Uh, Pardon me. And they get inside. And uh, they see that there's this massive control room inside that controls uh, the hunting ground up above. And so Lucas is like, oh, my gosh, is this really just, you know, to control the hunting ground? But Emma spots another door. They get in, go through there and there is a pond, a golden pond. Uh, and she opens up the pen. Uh, it says, welcome to the golden pond. And so Lucas realizes like, oh, so this really wasn't a hunting ground. Minerva wanted us to come to this pond and the thing that was above us probably wasn't a hunting ground to begin with. It was turned into one somehow. Why? How did that happen? Where is Mr. Minerva now? Uh, But then they realize, hey, there's a building over there floating on the water. Okay. (laughs) And they're like, we can't touch this liquid somehow. It just falls off us. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Let's go in that building. (laughs) Again, so like, there's an elevator in here. <laughs> Despite the fact that the building is floating. <laughs> All of this um, makes perfect sense. Emma's like, maybe we can use this elevator to go to the human world if we use it. Uh, so they're like, oh, there's a slot here with the, the, the uh, on a control console. We can slide the pen inside of it. Do not blink it. It turns on the door when the elevator opens. Like, whoa, what if this elevator lets us go in? Uh, maybe it will. And it goes, failure. <laughs> Why did it fail? I don't know. Hey, there's a phone over there that's ringing. End of chapter. <laughs> I, I I do love one very cute moment in the series where the like Emma sees the elevator and she's like, 
that we could go to the human world if we use it? Is that it? And like her and Lucas start like, like that can't be. <laughs> yeah, there's no way it'd be that easy. And there's one like, it can't be, right? Oh my God, is it this easy? And they start like, <laughs> they start getting really excited. Like, oh my God, can we finally finish this? <laughs> Like, she puts her key in the fucking elevator, clicks it open, the door's open, and the credits just start rolling. And it's just like, oh, okay, I guess everything worked out all right for everybody. I don't mean to underplay this sequence. It's just that there's not a whole lot to comment on because it's a very kind of cinematic sequence. Uh, there's not a lot of di- there's not a tremendous amount of important dialogue. It's more just, like, observations that they're making, all the weird stuff that they're seeing. And there's more, like, a lot of weird... Uh, traits about this location to make note of like oh there's this weird golden pond that isn't filled with like actual liquid maybe i don't know we can't actually touch it there's an island floating out in the middle of it that has a building there and the elevator where the hell does the elevator go if this freaking building is floating on the on on this on this pond uh there's not a lot you know to really comment on but i will say that the whole sequence of all this playing out is like there's all this weird stuff going on i think is very effective um it's something that I don't really see a whole lot from manga, honestly. It's like, what's this weird thing? What's this weird thing? What's this weird thing? So It's a very interesting chapter for the series because it does like put like a very magical almost element to the series that we haven't seen yet, which is like, how did the mechanics of this this place work? You know, it's basically been pretty like grounded as a series, except there are demons in it. But mm-hmm. this is just like water we can't touch and a floating island and you know, a magic elevator seemingly inside of the space, but I'm super intrigued to find out what the answers to any of these things are. You know, part of me wonders, like, you know, it's connected to this surveillance room, and it's like, maybe that's a failure because it's, you know, some condition they haven't finished here yet. Like, mm-hmm. it's trying to figure out what Minerva's all about, and part of me's like, is he trying to test them, maybe? Is that what the kind of practice of this is all about? Like, he's like, no, you can't leave until you save everyone this place, or something, mm-hmm. I don't know, but... It's crazy interesting. Like, who's going to be on the phone? Is it going to be Minerva? Is it going to be someone new? Is it going to be someone we didn't expect? Like, fuck, mom picks up on the other end. And she's like, what do you think you're doing or something? I don't know. Like, that's, <laughs> it's just super interesting. Like, I'm I'm totally engrossed in the story here. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, despite the fact that not a whole lot actually happened, I thought it was really good. <laughs> she said. All right. Let's uh, move on then to Seven Deadly Sins. Chapter mm-hmm. 251, Holy War Treaty. So, Holy War Treaty, Batman. <laughs> rest in peace, Simwest. Uh, so, the chapter begins with all of the members of Camelot uh, suddenly realizing they are safe. And everyone would be like, whoa, God, demons are attacking. Something must have happened. And they're like, wait, no, we're home. And they get to celebrate that they were saved by the Seven Deadly Sins and Elizabeth. And there's this big two-page spread of Seven Deadly Sins getting to walk through the streets of, of uh, Leonis as basically like the heroes of the situation. You know, they're, they're being surrounded in applause and adulation and love. The, sp- the perspective of it is actually kind of kind of weird. Like, I know that Elizabeth is up front and that's why she looks huge, but she still looks huge uh, from the perspective of the shot. Well, it's tough to tell as well because Diane is so far in the back, but she's naturally a giant and also mm-hmm. bending over. So you're like, it's really tough to get that scale for how big she's supposed to be. Yeah. And also, I get that King doesn't always look the way he does, but why wouldn't he buy shirts that fit him in his larger <laughs> size? I'm like, come on, dude. 
Go to a big and tall. You're a magical king. You got to be able to make a shirt that fits. Literally every time he transforms into this form, I'm like, all right, he does that. <laughs> I, I wish forgot. he wouldn't because I don't like that to his design. No, it's not great. Uh, but they arrive and then they are quickly met up by Gil Thunder and quote unquote Princess Margaret as uh, they show up. But Elizabeth's like, no, it's not Margaret. I, I can tell this immediately. Uh, she knows who it is. The Archangel of the Goddess and one of the Archangels say, as we meet her, Ludichelle, and the two other ones that we, we saw, uh, Talmiel and Sariel. So we have the name of those three. Those are the other two that I think we also saw glimpses of. So there are three Archangels here. I don't know if there's supposed mm -hmm. to be a fourth that we haven't met yet, but who knows? Four Archangels. I really love the uh, two-page spread of the three of them standing together, by the way. Yeah, you see this this big two-page spread that I believe is supposed to indicate who the bodies were originally before yeah. these archangels took over them. Uh, well, so. it's, it's, it's who it's what the original forms of the archangels were before they possessed these three people. Okay, basically. okay. so yeah, it's... it's and it's, all three of them are striking the same pose as their archangels in the background, which looks really cool. So this is a pretty interesting visual to get there. Um, and... There's basically a long conversation that kind of happens there. There's still a bit of, I guess, conflict as to whether or not people who are following Ludachelle are okay with her just taking over Prince Margaret's body or not. Like, Hendrickson is really excited about this. He's like, sure, power is unstoppable. This is great. And Dreyfus is like, mm. slap him in the back of the head. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up, buddy. Uh, which I kind of like. I like that there's a little bit of conflict there, but... Ludachelle brings up that she's here to basically form a treaty because she says they've already combined with the, the human knights and their, their, or the human kingdoms and their holy knights. And she wants to team up with the seven deadly sins because their power is, is so great. Uh, she makes an, an offhand remark about how Melodius was their captain. So she assumes she just betrayed him in the last moment. Elizabeth sticks up for him. She's like, no, you take that back. But she's like, hey. That's what he's doing. Clearly, he's using Zeldris Nesterosa for something, so stop being naive. Uh, and if you want aid in the Holy War, perhaps your mother will even break the curse uh, put on her daughter. And Elizabeth's like, I don't care about that. So, she does agree to team up, but her, her says her goal is to stop Melodius, not to kill him. So, it won't be easy to suppress him alone, so yeah, they'll, they'll team up together. So, uh, Luchelle, like, brandishes this long holy sword of light, and Elizabeth does the same, and they essentially cross the swords in midair together. Kind of a pretty cinematic moment. Very kind of interesting visual, I think. And we cut away to Melodius looking out from one of those, like, random Dragon Ball Z rock formation things. And, yeah. <laughs> and he can see the twin crossing lights in the distance, and... That's actually, I think, even a cooler visual of it, too, where it's almost like these two spotlights shine in the air. Uh, and that's the chapter, which kind of short, but uh, feels like there was a good bit that happened there at the end. It's, it's you know, not surprising that these two sides are uniting, but there's still that, uh, you know, that, that deep undercurrent that clearly the Archangels are not absolutely good. It's It's been very much made evident by this point that the holy side of this war is not automatically the good side. But it's still interesting to see where this is going to go. I do like I do like having this official truce and alliance between them because it lets you know it's like okay we're going to have to deal with this problem later. 
it's not something that's going on concurrently. It's, you know, something that is now put into sequence of like, okay, this is something that we have to worry about, but they're not our enemies that we also have to worry about along with uh, Meliodas and everyone else. Uh, so, you know, you can have that existing tension between them going on because like, hey, we're working with these people that we don't 100% trust. And Elizabeth knows it, so... And I like, too, that this was sort of like an official coronation for Elizabeth, too, as the new leader of the Seven Deadly Sins at this point. Yeah. They've, they've basically taken her in as the new captain. I never would have honestly seen her doing that at the beginning of this series. Yeah, yeah. I, I really dug it. Come a long way. All right, so we are going to actually finish up with Black Clover, page 141, Crazy Magic Battle! Uh, Henry has revealed himself. He has transformed the Black Bull's base into a giant mecha. And uh, they have a magic battle. Um, Before that happens, um, Henry, uh, you know, has one last bit of flashback where uh, to his conversation with Yami, where Yami was just like, I'm just going to leave you, make you a brigade member from now on. And said later, once you can move, when you want to protect your comrades, put that on. He puts on a Black Bull's mantle. Which, I don't know. (laughs) Yes, he's a member of the Black Bulls. It's an important gesture for him to put it on and join their ranks. But it's just, you know, another thing that happens with Black Clover. And I say it all the time, and I know that it's never going to change, and I should just accept that and move on. The series moves too quickly. Um, and it, this moment, I feel like, has something taken away from it because it was such a big gesture for Zora to join the Black Bulls after he had all that build up. Um, and he was like, OK, fine, I'll join with you and actually be a, mem- a member of your team, as opposed to being a douchebag who goes on, on my own and won't even declare myself an official magic knight. We know very, very little about Henry by comparison to that. And so this gesture doesn't feel quite as good. And also there's the problem of Zora did that only a couple of months ago. And it's like, this happened pretty soon after. So, okay, there you go. Uh, so, um, the members of the midnight sun try and have their zombie thing, launch a giant corkscrew of magic at the, uh, black bull base. Uh, which counters with a rocket punch. All right. <laughs> sure. I guess uh, his ability to rearrange the base also allows him to bring back uh, the base. Should he fire it off? So everyone's like, holy shit. And he's like, all right, we have rocket punch. All right. I'm instantly better. <laughs> um, what's her name? Susan. I don't know. <laughs> creepy glasses girl is like all right well i'm going to use this dark magic item magic scorpion necklace when you put it on for 10 minutes it multiplies your power by a factor of 10 okay and she uses her gel magic to summon a huge salamander actually she refers to it specifically as big old sticky salamander i she's obviously meant to be a very suggestive character i can't help like but notice like it's like oh the dark magic scorpion perfectly conforms itself to your tits as well yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh, no, I just found it amusing. Kaiju battle! <laughs> oh, fuck. What's, what's the Pacific Rim 2 song? 
Gotta oh. go every day, gotta bow every day. And Charlie Day in the background be like, I'm still in this movie to be annoying! Woo! <laughs> Uh, so the Black Bull's base has to fight the giant sticky salamander, uh, but it doesn't do him so good because it tries to punch it, and uh, she's like, you can't punch Jill, silly. Sally, that was her name. Right. Um, and uh, then she, you know, has the salamander kind of melts over the uh, base, and she's, you know, talking about how she's like, oh, I'm going to dissect you, Henry. Uh and uh, so Gauch is like, all right, we've got to move. We're going to help him. And Gray's like, how? And Gauch is like, shut up, I'll tell you. Uh, so she's like, okay, Gray, I need you to uh, transform her magic. And she's like, it's too big. I can't do it. And she's like, it's, okay. it's going to work. Look, look at me. Look, look at me. And he unveils his mirror eye thing, which uh, uses the mirror brigade spell to copy Gray so that they're a whole bunch of her so that they can all use their uh, conversion magic to transform the gel into a giant plant. And that makes it super susceptible to Gordon's poison curse magic. Uh, and uh, it melts off. So then they're like, oh, well, we've got number zero coming after you guys. Get fucked. And then it. So Henry's just like, nope. And uh, he turns the arm of the base to launch uh, another punch, and it smashes the zombie thing. And that's the end of the chapter. It's basically one big fight scene after uh, Henry dons the mantle, but it's a pretty awesome fight scene, I think, although very short. And I do like the way that uh, all four members use their magic together, particularly the combination that Gauche masterminded. Yeah, I, so. l- I like that part a lot. I'm, this chapter reminded me how bad I am with Black Clover, where I sat here for a moment and I was like, Gosh has a magic eye. <laughs> Completely forgot about that. No wonder we didn't we didn't remember Henry being in the background of shots. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> and like I had that extra moment too, where it's like I bet that's why they the, the Midnight Sun wanted to capture Gosh alive because of his eye. And it's like yes, stupid. Obviously, <laughs> like how do you not get this? It's like oh, I just don't remember any detail about this series apparently. Oh gosh. Um. I did like this chapter uh, because it was a cool fight scene Um, in terms of like character stuff. I still was like, I've still got problems with the way that everything with Henry went down, but it was cool to see them working together. I could dig it. Yeah. It was a cool action chapter. All right. So with all of that done, that's it. That's it for weekly manga recap. Uh, We are going to wrap things up here by naming our favorites of the week. Hmm. Uh, I'll start off then. So mm-hmm. for my series of the week, I'm going to give it to Act Age. I, I thought this was a really interesting chapter. I don't know if it's a series that's going to work and, and jump. I don't know if we're going to get more than three chapters of it. Uh, I don't know if it will even last in Japan in any extent. Uh, but I was super intrigued by the chapter premise. And I just thought it was really cool. I, I, I like the idea of it kind of taking on different concepts, even if it may not execute it perfectly, the idea alone was just intriguing enough. I mean, I like different sorts of series and dump, so I really enjoyed it. I'm going to give mine to The Promised Neverland. I know we didn't talk a whole lot about it, but again, it was just a sequence that was really intriguing, so many weird little details, and it's something that played out much better when I was just reading it than when we were going through it and talking about it because it just flows so well together 
and it leaves you with this weird sense of intrigue and uh it's kind of it was it was honestly kind of enrapturing when i was going through it was like this is so strange and i want to know more about this um so that's it for me mvp for me uh i thought about giving it to ayumi uh, just because she was amusing and held that chapter together really well. But I'm going to give it to Endeavor, uh, because this was something that I was not expecting to come from his character. Uh, this very genuine and realistic, I'm going to try to be better moment. Uh, it's not something that's like, oh, well, he's going to be a good character. And I was like, well, he's going to try. And that's more than you can say for a lot of people out there in the world who have done horrible, bad things. So. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, that. I give it to Endeavor as well. Again, I still totally understand anybody who's like, I don't think Endeavor should be. And, you know, I'm not here to try to convince you otherwise. But I do think that personally, I just, I really enjoy that direction with the character. I like trying to turn him into something better. I'm an optimist at heart. So I really liked it. All right. And that is going to do it then for Weekly Manga Recap this week. Uh, do you have a suggestion for us? Yes, uh, I get to the end. I'll get to the end. Okay. Uh, we want to thank you guys for listening, tuning in. We normally record the show on smashcast.tv slash T and twitch.tv slash T Thursdays currently at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But things happen. Uh, so in order to stay updated on any changes that occur, if we have to stream somewhere else, if we have to stream at a different time, you can follow us on Twitter. Your hosts are at Rolo T and at Nick F time. And the official podcast account is at WMR podcast. If you want more, you can check out all of our past episodes on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com, as well as subscribe to us on iTunes and on YouTube. If you do that, be sure to leave a comment and rating and all that stuff, because that helps us to defeat our eternal rivals in the hobby section, the woodworkers. If you have any feedback you want to send to us, ask us any questions, suggest manga for us to read, you can send all that stuff via email to weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com so that we can browse all of it and keep track of it all. And we want to give some special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We have been hard at work on the bonus episode for this month, our Christmas special, uh, that, uh, yeah, you guys uh, should have relatively soon. Yeah, we're going to try to get it out over the next, uh, over the weekend, hopefully. We're, we're finishing up some work on it, but we got mm-hmm. that coming out. Uh, also, real quick, want to give a special thanks to Mark Carter, Sunshine Ladies Tour, and Andrew Stone for being new patrons. Thank you very much, guys. Fist bump for awesomeness is greatly appreciated. It's because of you guys that were able to do some cool stuff, and I'm able to eat every week thus far. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty happy about that. I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> Um, that's great yeah <laughs> that's good I, 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 no, uh, well, I also wanted to just say extend some special thanks to Steve Man and Infamous Planet uh, for the help that they do guys. for us yeah. what did he do uh, yeah, the guy just... who made the title card when we talked about Hulk earlier <laughs> <laughs> the guy who did that and the guy who helped make the new, uh, the new title card or the new overlay that has your correct Twitter handle on it and everything like that hey I don't see what the the big deal about them is. We'll find them. (laughs) What else do you want to say? (laughs) No, uh, I guess then let's let's do a recommendation here. So I'm just trying to get to where my email was that had it here. Uh, uh, Sorry, just pulling it up here. Nick's dancing. I like that. I like the dance, Nick. I like that enthusiasm. 
Why is this not popping up anymore? All right, fuck it. I'm just going to go with the first recommendation I could find now. Because <laughs> for some reason, the one I had before is gone. Uh, we're going to take a look at... Ooh, actually, I think this is going to be a very interesting one. Because there's a big anime about this right now that is very popular, but also quite controversial. Mm. And I am very curious to see how the uh, manga adaptation for this goes. So our next uh, or recommendation is going to be the Ancient Magus's Bride. Ooh. So stay tuned for that one. Okay, then. All right, so that's going to be it, guys. We will uh, check you out, check with you next week. Uh, I think that we'll probably be doing also uh, some commentary in between now and then as yes. well. Do you want to know what our commentary is going to be about? Sure. sure. Yeah, we actually decided on this one ahead of time. Uh, we are going to be watching a few episodes of Devil Man Crybaby. Speaking of controversial anime. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll probably be doing that uh, in the next couple of days. Probably on Monday, I think. Indeed. So that's going to do it, guys. Uh, what kind of funny line should we end this episode off on, Nick? Actually, you know what? We shouldn't make a joke, Nick. We, we should be respectful and honorable in Moriam of Mugino. <laughs> Remember the wise words he once told us? Stop signs Don't are... Don't style. <laughs> Stop signs do what now? <laughs> or Don't on Earth style. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>